following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Uh, Sermon on the Mounts. We're working our way through the Sermon of Jesus. We're in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and uh, Ange Marshall is going to come and read this passage for us. There we go. She's got some fans in the audience. Hey, happy Mother's Day, Ange. Come and read the word for us. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Oh yeah, it deserves a glory, doesn't it, Gary? Go. That was just for the scripture reading. I haven't got into the sermon yet. All right. Uh, those of you that have got young kids, or if you've got nephews, nieces, you got in, in that, uh, you're in that space, you know one of the most common questions that little kids ask is why? Well, that is the question, really, isn't it? That kids constantly ask. And it doesn't matter what you say. The question that follows that is why. It's time to go to bed. Why? We're going to the supermarket. Why? It's time to go to Nana's. Why? Everything's why. Our kids ask that question all the time. And then, of course, what happens is when you answer the question, you get a follow-up why question, which just goes on and on and on, right? So it's like, we're going to the supermarket. Why? Because we need some food. Why? Uh, Because we need to eat. Why? Uh, Because that's the way our bodies are made. Why? Because that's how God made us. Why? I don't know why. We're just going to the supermarket. Be quiet. It just eventually gets so nauseating and you get back like the why questions keep going until you get to the essential meaning of the universe every single time. But, you know, kids are curious and kids want to know things. And so that's just part part of parenting is answering the why questions. So in this passage this morning, Jesus is kind of asking the why question. It's, it's a different kind of why question. This is not the kind of why that kids ask, but he's going after the why question. We're at this pivotal point in the Sermon on the Mount where Matthew chapter 6 really introduces a new section of the sermon. And if you've tracked with us so far, you know that through a lot of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was going back to the Old Testament law. You've heard it said this, you've heard it said that, And then he was reinterpreting that law around himself, showing how he's fulfilled the law. And now what does this look like in view of the person of Jesus, giving us this new law, the kingdom law to live by? A lot of what we've looked at the past six weeks, you could think of that as being concerned with the what and the how. What should we do? How should we live? It's a lot of the ways that we should relate to each other not acting out of anger, not acting out of hatred. We've talked about sexuality. We've talked about marriage and divorce and remarriage and keeping our word uh, and, and not taking revenge and loving our enemies, all of these things. It's the what should we do and how should we live. But as Jesus turns the corner into Matthew 6, we now get this focus on why. 
but why? That we should do all these things, that's all good, but why do we do this? And what that means, and this is where Jesus can be so annoying, can't he? That what he's doing is he's going below the surface. He's not content just to leave us talking about external behaviors. That's what the Pharisees were all about. But Jesus is not content to tell you what to do and how to live. What he's doing in this passage, he's going after your heart. And that's challenging. But in fact, this is what Jesus has been doing right through the Sermon on the Mount, right back to the Beatitudes when he said, blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus is talking about the heart. But in Matthew 6, this is really what he confronts head on. is not just the behaviors, not just the outward, not just the things that we do or the things that we say and how we act. Jesus is saying, I want to pop the bonnet and look underneath at the engine, and I want to ask, why are you doing these things? So this goes to issues of motives. This goes to issues of the heart. This goes to the deep inclinations of our heart, the deep desires of our heart, the deep proclivities of our heart that nobody else even sees. But this is what Jesus is focusing on, because more than anything else, Jesus wants your heart. And so my encouragement to you as we go through this is to have an open heart. It will be very easy, I think, for a passage like this and a message like this to rationalize and to justify and to explain things away and excuse ourselves and let ourselves off the hook mentally. I want to encourage you not to do that, but to be humble enough, open enough, vulnerable enough to allow the searchlight of the Spirit to examine your heart as we go through the text of Scripture. So, Matthew chapter 6. Now, verse 1 is like, this is the banner statement over this whole next section of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Uh, that's really a key statement over the next 17, 18 verses of this chapter. So Jesus goes on to give examples, but this is the overarching statement. And what he's saying is, your, your practice of righteousness, that's just living out your faith. That's just the way in which we live as Christians, the things that we do, the way we act towards others, the, the acts of worship that we may do towards God. Jesus is saying it's entirely possible to do all these things that he's teaching us to do. It's totally possible to do all of these things in the way we relate to each other, love each other, forgive each other, show kindness, show compassion, forgive our enemies, all of that. He said it's totally possible to do all of that for completely the wrong reasons with completely the wrong hearts. And the particular reason that Jesus is putting his finger on here is that we can do these things and we can relate in certain ways and we can keep God's commands even. We can even do public acts of worshiping God. But the reason, Jesus says, that we're sometimes doing these things is to be seen by others, is so that other people will notice us and other people will think that we're impressive and other people will think that we're really spiritual. So we're not doing these things towards God. We're not doing them to bless God. We're not doing them to glorify God. Why are you doing them? Really because you want someone else to look at you and think what a spiritual giant you are and think what a mature Christian you are. You want to be noticed. We've all got a bit of this in us, don't we? We want to be noticed. We want to be liked. We want to be approved of by other people. We want to be accepted. Come on, this is all of us. We want to hear the applause of other people. We want to hear the accolades of other people. And this creeps into our heart, and it contaminates our motives, and it affects the otherwise good things. They may be good things that we're doing, but underneath, why are we doing them? Because we want to be honored, and we want to hear the praise of people. And Jesus says, that's a problem. Now, he gives us 
three examples here from his own day. These take a little bit of unpacking because they're a bit different to the way we operate today. But he gives the example of these three practices that Jews would undertake in his own day, and the three pretty fundamental practices of Jewish faith and religion. Uh, The first is giving, and this is the focus of our passage today. So giving, he says, when you give to the needy, this verse 2, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. So first of all, who are the hypocrites? Well, probably he's talking about the Pharisees, the religious group of people. But he uses this word hypocrites. And like we know this word, right? We, we talk hypocrites, hypocrisy, that's, that's a, a known word. But it had a different meaning in Jesus' day. The word was taken from the world of the Greek theater. And if you went and saw a, a, a play in the theater, and there were these theaters around cities in the ancient world, you would see these actors and they would wear masks. And the actors were, were known as the hypocritos. And they would wear these, these masks in order to play the part well. Could be a happy face mask, could be a sad face mask, depending on the character, depending on the scene. Now, what that meant is, and this is just good acting, right? That meant that there was a split between who that person was and the role they were playing. Right? They were playing a role. They were playing a persona. They were wearing a mask. Now, if you're acting, that's a good thing. That's exactly what we want actors to do. That's, they're in the role. They're in the character. But Jesus is saying the problem is that this is like an image of who we are as people, that there can be this split between what we're doing outwardly and how we're living and what we're saying and, and, and what we're posting online and how we're serving other people and what's really going on in our heart. We can be doing all these things that in themselves are good, but there is this disconnection between these actions and our hearts. And when you look at the heart, it ends up being pretty selfish. That the motives are really just to gain honor and praise and glory for ourselves. So Jesus says that the hypocrites, talking about the Pharisees, here's what they do. When they give money, it's the first example. When they give, he says, they stand on the street corners and they blow trumpets to let everybody know that they're giving money. Probably the reference to the trumpets is metaphorical. It's unlikely that they literally stood there blowing trumpets. But it's kind of like we have this expression today, right? Blowing your own trumpet. That's the idea. We talk, I'm going to blow my own trumpet about this. Or that, that person, they were really blowing their own trumpet, weren't they? That's the same kind of thing that the Pharisees were doing. So they would make sure that if they gave money, they would get the coins and they would make sure that it went into the box or the offering plate, whatever they were giving money, as loudly as possible, made the most clanging noise with all the other coins as loudly as they possibly could. They would wait until maximum number of people saw them putting the coins into. If there wasn't enough of a crowd, they'd hold on a little bit longer until there's a few more people around. And then at the right moment, drop the coins into the box. If they were giving into the begging bowl, they would make sure. They don't just give it to the beggar. They'd make sure there's a few people passing along. And at just the right moment, the coins go in when they know someone's going to come past and look at them and say, what a spiritual giant that Pharisee is. Look at the sacrifice they're making for this poor beggar. Look at the generosity. Look at the charity. That's what they wanted to hear. That's what they wanted to receive. That was the heart. That's what's going on. And then Jesus gives a second example. This pushes a bit past our our passage today. But then he goes on and talks about prayer. And he says, when the Pharisees pray, they stand on the most public place and they pray and they use all these big religious words and they 
keep on going. They ramble and ramble and ramble. You might think, I know somebody like that. And they keep praying these really big, ostentatious prayers that just never seem to end. And he says, ultimately, they're doing it to be seen so that everyone else looks at them and goes, what? Man, what a, I, I, I could never pray like that. This per, look, listen to them. They must have the ear of God. They must have speed dial, direct access to God. That kind of, that's amazing. What a prayer. You know, have you ever thought that with someone? You listen to them and go, what a great prayer. You know, you know prayer, it's, prayer's not like that, is it? Prayer's not this thing's like, wow, you're really good at it. And you're really not good. Prayer is just, this is our communication to God. But the Pharisees, it was like this thing they wanted to hone and refine and make as slick as possible so other people would think they're amazing. And then the third example Jesus gives, and we're going to talk about this specifically in a couple of weeks, but he gives the example of fasting. This is verse 16 to 18. And he says the Pharisees, when they fasted from food, they'd go without food quite regularly. And they would make sure when they did that, that they would walk around looking all bedraggled, and they would look, make their faces look all gaunt, and they'd act real tired so people would know that they had deprived themselves of food. It would be blatantly obvious to everybody. And people would go, what a legend, that Pharisee. The cost, the sacrifice they must be making for the Lord, that is profound. And that's what they wanted to hear. So none of these practices are bad, are they? Like these are good things. This is why I think Jesus focuses on them. So we have to keep in mind, prayer is good. Giving is good. Fasting is good. The problem is the motives were totally selfish, just utterly egocentric motives. And all they really wanted, this wasn't something they were doing to glorify God and have uh, communion with Him. It was something they were doing to get the, the applause of the crowd. Now, think about your life. Maybe our examples are different, but they are still there. I know Kiwi culture, we don't tend to be particularly ostentatious, do we? So it's easy to think we don't really struggle with this because I don't put my cash in the offering plate. And that, that's probably a good thing that we don't have a, an offering plate go around. So you're not even tempted here. We used to. We used to have the offering bags go past, but we don't even do that now. So it's quite hard to give in a way that's really showy now. When you give to the church, you just it's just between you and the Lord, whether you put that money in the account or not. So you might think it doesn't apply. But I think subtly, this stuff can still creep into our lives. Think about one example. Uh, I don't know whether many of you have given through Give a Little, through a Give a Little page. So when you go into a Give a Little page, you have a couple of options. You can give as a guest donor, or you can give as you, as your name. Now, I am not judging, okay, because I know that there are good reasons sometimes for putting your name against your gift. And you want to show your love and you want to show your support. I get that. This is why the subject is thorny because you can't judge. I can't judge the heart. There, there, there can be good motives. There can be bad motives. This is not about a policy. But I'm saying what I want you to do is to think about this, to at least have a filter, to at least ask yourself when you click that button that says, include my name, to ask the question, why? Why am I doing this? Is it to show love, to show support, because I want them to know? Okay. Or is it something else? Is it that I really want them to know that it's me and see how generous I am? Is it that I like the idea secretly that there's a bunch of other people on this site that are also going to see that $100 gift go in? 
Is there a bit of us that's like that? Could you, if you feel that's the danger in your heart, do an anonymous donation and private message them to let them know if you want to connect with them directly? See, it's about having a filter so we at least ask the question. You may go through that process and decide, I can still have pure motives and still put my name beside that gift. That's fine. But to at least ask yourself the question before you do it brings you face to face with why you're doing these things in the first place and what you're really wanting out of this. Is it for the good of the person? Is it ultimately to serve the Lord? Or is there something, is there maybe just a part of you that likes the fact you're going to be seen and you're going to be noticed for this? I think the reality is our motives are always at least slightly tainted. Is that right? It's not as simple, is it, as saying, well, you either do things for good motives or bad motives. Like, we're all a mixed bag. Is that right? I'm a mixed bag. So when I stand up here and preach, I'm really aware that on any given Sunday, my motives are mixed at best. That there is, I'll just be honest with you, there is always a part of me that wants to be liked, that wants to sound impressive, that wants to sound knowledgeable or whatever. That's always there. I'm not sure we can ever fully escape it. It is part of the brokenness that we live with. But the challenge for me is to ask the why. Why am I doing this? And to come before the Lord and ask Him to purify my motives so that as much as God enables me, I'm able to do what I do out of faithfulness towards God rather than playing to the crowd. I know what it is to play to the crowd. I know how to preach in such a way as to play to what people, what I think you want to hear. But there is actually something really freeing in allowing God to cleanse our motives so that I seek as best I can in preaching in a way that's faithful to Him. Because it frees me from what you think. (laughs) It means I'm actually less concerned about ultimately whether or not you like what I'm saying. I'm more concerned about whether this is faithful to Scripture and honoring to God. So what I'm saying is our motives are always mixed. What we can do is ask God to purify those through becoming aware of them and asking for His Spirit's help to live toward God and not towards people. But please don't think that what I'm saying is you should sit around waiting until you have 100% pure motives to do anything. You will never do anything. If you wait, like, well, I, I think... Maybe if I was to give money to the church, I could be giving for the wrong motives, so I won't give a thing. There could be a 1% in my heart that wants to give for the wrong reasons, so best I give nothing. You know, if we act like that, we will never give, we will never love, we will never serve, we will never do anything of any value because our hearts are always going to be corrupt. Our hearts are always sinful. So it's not about waiting for 100% pure motives. It's about becoming aware. It's about asking the question. And it's about God asking God to help us take steps towards having more pure motives than we currently have. So we were talking last Sunday about baptism. It was a group of us met at the hub. And uh, this is another example of where I think this can subtly creep in. It's easy when we think about getting baptized to think, This is my moment. This is when the spotlight goes on me. And the whole church is going to see how amazing I am and how sold out I am for Jesus and the strength of my faith. And this is my time to shine. And we talked about how that's the opposite of what baptism is. Like John the Baptist, like his name is Baptist, baptizer. 
He was the one who said, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. He wanted out of the spotlight. He wanted Jesus in the spotlight. You don't get baptized to have your moment. You don't get baptized to show everyone how amazing you are. You get baptized to show everyone how amazing Jesus is. That's the point. You get the spotlight away from you. You get out of the limelight and you show the way God is being glorified. You don't get baptized because you're a great Christian. You get baptized because you're a hopeless Christian who needs the grace of God every second of your life. Yes, it is a public act. That is true. And that's fine. I don't think Jesus is speaking against public acts of worship, prayer, baptism. But he is saying, don't go after that. We just live in such a narcissistic culture that will so quickly turn everything into a moment for me to shine. We've got to move against that and say, no, this is about glorifying God and me actually becoming less and just allowing God to be seen as gracious gift of salvation in my life. So there's all sorts of ways in which this can sneak in. Maybe social media is another example. Uh, the way that you post things, nothing wrong with posting stuff, putting the photos up there, but just ask yourself why. Why do I need to put this up? Is this just to try and get a bit of limelight? Is this to try and be seen, be noticed, get the accolades, get the compliments, uh, get how many likes, how many followers I can get? Or is, am I doing this for some other reason? All kinds of ways this can creep into our lives. Think about the way you sat on that couch when you had your Mother's Day photo. No, let's not even go there. That's fine. That one, you can be totally showy. That's all right. Don't worry about your motives there. So we've got to be aware that this stuff does just swirl around in our hearts. And here's the consequence when we don't pay attention. Jesus says, this is verse 2, end of verse 2, Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. That's what he says about the Pharisees. They've received their reward in full. So that's an accounting term. It means full payment. The invoice is paid, the account is settled. What Jesus is saying here is that when we do things just to get the applause of the crowd, we do things to, to play to the crowd, we may get the applause that we seek. We may get the accolades that we want. We may get the praise of other people, but that's all we're going to get, and that's it. So you've got to decide if that's worth it. See, Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, if you play to the crowd, they, they're not going to like you. No, they probably will. We can get good at this stuff. If you go after the honor of other people and the praise of other people, you may get it, but that's all you're going to get. You will have received your reward in full. So Jesus is saying, don't go for the applause of people and expect to hear the applause of heaven because you won't hear it. Don't spend your life trying to chase after the accolades of other people and expect to please your heavenly Father because that won't. In fact, as we pursue the praise of other people, it does damage to our hearts. It turns our hearts away from God. It makes us a bit less like Jesus rather than more like Jesus. It pulls us away from that intimacy and communion with Him. So Jesus is saying, you've got to decide if it's worth it. You might get the accolades from people, but ultimately this is going to damage you. It's going to make you a little less like Christ. It's going to make you a little less like the person God is shaping you and molding you to be. This is going to damage your relationship with God. It's going to damage you as a disciple of Christ. Is that really what you want? And so here's the remedy. Here's where Jesus takes us now, moving into the positive territory. He says, verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know 
what your right hand is doing. That's quite a common phrase. We, we have that phrase in our English vernacular, don't we? Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. We tend to use it in the negative, though. You know, we, we think about an organization or a group of people. We're like, man, and the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing there. We kind of use it to describe something that's chaotic, to describe something that's disorganized. But Jesus uses this in a positive way. He says, it's a good thing. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. And what he's saying here is, live out your faith in a way that's not showy, in a way that's not ostentatious, in a way that's not really overtly demonstrative towards other people, but is quiet and faithful and directed towards God alone. That's how we are called to live. Now, that, that doesn't mean, you think about the earlier phrase Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, let your light shine before all people. It doesn't mean that we're not called to speak about our faith before other people. We are called to do that. But Jesus is talking about something different here. He's talking about our heart. He's talking about our motives doesn't mean there's not a time for, for public speaking out about our faith. But Jesus is saying when we do this, we need to guard our hearts. One of the best ways that we can do this, one of the most important practices to think about our motives, is the practice of anonymity. Have you tried this? The practice of anonymity. In other words, doing something, giving something, serving in some way, showing love, that is totally anonymous that people can never trace it back to you. And that's hard, isn't it? Because that brings you face to face with your motives. So when you consider doing something to serve someone else totally anonymously, and then you think, why have I suddenly lost my motivation for doing this? Why am I suddenly no longer as excited about doing this as I was 30 seconds ago? Why am I kind of now putting this on the back burner? That's probably a sign that your motives weren't great in the first place. Why did you really want to do that thing to be seen? because you wanted, the, you wanted the compliments, you wanted the praise. When you do something anonymously, you, you know you're not going to get the compliments. And the first thing that'll do sometimes is to surface the bad motives that were there to begin with. But it's good, because this is about purifying your motives. And you step out and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this thing, and I'm, it's not going to be my name attached to it. And so I'm never going to get the praise, and I'm recognizing that is really good for my heart. So it might be, Let's say doing some baking and going and putting it on someone's doorstep and doing it anonymously. And it's like anonymous means anonymous, okay? Not like leaving a little note from your friendly neighbor. You know, don't drop hints. Don't like, don't take it to their house just at the moment you know they're going to be looking out their window and see you doing this anonymous good thing. That's just you back in the Pharisees camp now. You've got, to be, you've got to be disciplined to be anonymous. You choose the time that they're not home. You choose the most discreet time. You maybe don't even leave a note. Or if you do, something they can never trace back to you. And you put that thing on the doorstep, and then you get out of there as fast as you can. Don't linger around. Don't wait and hope maybe they'll see. Maybe they won't see. Our own hearts want that. But you just get out of there. And you know the great thing about this? If, let's say, that person that you're giving this gift to as a Christian themselves, you know what happens? Who have they got to thank for that? Well, they can't thank you. They don't know it was you. Lord willing, they might thank their heavenly father. So you put yourself in their shoes. How does this received from them? Thank you, God, for that provision. Thank you, God, for that blessing. They're not so much thinking you, wow, you're generous. They're thinking, God, you have. They know it's through a person, but they're, they're, their mind, their, 
consciousness is directed towards the Lord, and they may become a little more grateful to Him for that provision. So what you are doing is so good for their soul, and it's good for your soul. Can you find a way of practicing the virtue of anonymity sometime in the coming week? It could be just some act of generosity, but anonymously, maybe popping a voucher in someone's letterbox, maybe doing something to serve someone else, but somehow doing it in a way they never find out. You have to, it's like going on a bit of a stealth mission with this kind of thing. You've got to find a way of doing that, that they can't trace it back to you, but you can bless them and you can serve them and then you can get out of there and they've got no one to thank but God. Make yourself that challenge in the next week to try and do something anonymously and you will find it is really good for your heart and it is a blessing for the person that you're serving. Now, again, let me, let me clarify this by saying none of this, none of what Jesus is saying here means there is not a time for public acts of worship and prayer and so on. There absolutely is. Like Jesus himself prayed publicly. Clearly, he's not saying that we should never pray in front of people. We, we pray publicly in church. I pray publicly. This is public preaching that you're listening to now. Baptism is a public thing. There's no problem with those acts, but it does mean that those of us who are engaged in these kinds of public acts do need to check our hearts, maybe more than others. Those of us who stand on this stage, we do need to examine our hearts. And when we go through public acts like baptism, we do need to ask the question, why? Why am I doing this? It's so important to ask that question. It's not the act itself that is the problem. These can all be great things. The problem is our heart, and the problem is our hearts are so deceptive. It's so easy to rationalize this stuff away and convince ourselves that our motives are good when, in an honest moment, we know they're not. Now, here's the blessing that Jesus gives right at the end of all this. Verse 4. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's interesting, this talk of rewards, and it makes us a bit uncomfortable because we think, hang on, is this like works righteousness here? Am I earning something here? Am I somehow collecting points with God? I don't think Jesus is talking about that. He's not saying that we're earning our salvation. He's not saying we're earning any merit before God. When you think about these rewards, and Jesus uses this phrase several times, the reward, the reward from your heavenly Father, think about it like the blessings of the Beatitudes, when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does he mean? It doesn't say you're getting a particular material reward. What he says, this is the path to blessing. This is the road to the truly blessed life. What is the reward that you get from knowing that you are doing something out of a motive to love rather than out of selfish motive? It is the reward of knowing that you're in the center of God's will. It is the reward of knowing that your heart is becoming a little bit more like the heart of Jesus, who always moved towards others out of love, out of total selflessness, out of a total concern for others and not his own ego. It's the reward of knowing that this is shaping and molding your heart to be a little bit more like your heavenly father. It's the reward of knowing that you are in, in some small way being changed to become a little bit more like Jesus. It's the reward of knowing that you're experiencing a little bit more of the abundant life that Jesus can bring us. That's the reward. Don't think this is some material reward that if I do this and I, and I follow Jesus, there's going to be some uh, tangible material reward that comes into my life. And don't think either 
that this is some reward that you're going to get in heaven. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about either. Because if you think that way, then you go into it thinking, well, if I drop this anonymous uh, gift and if I make some muffins, drop it into this person, then I know when I get to heaven, my mansion is going to have five more rooms in it. So now what are your motives? Back to selfishness. It's just a slightly longer time frame that the selfishness takes to work itself out. But you are still back to doing things for you. Now it's because I think I'm going to get a nicer garden in heaven. It's not the motivation. If we just go that road, we've just come full circle back to the Pharisees. We need to ask the Spirit to purge all of that from our lives. We do these things because we love Jesus and we want to allow His grace to work itself out in our lives. And we want our hearts to be more like Jesus. The reward is living into the abundant life of Christ. The reward is not getting some material reward either now or in the life to come. We do these things towards the Lord and towards Him only. So I want to encourage you to just take a couple of minutes as we close to really allow God to search your heart. I think, as I said earlier, the, the problem with this is that we so quickly justify ourselves and excuse ourselves and let ourselves off the hook because our hearts ultimately are really deceitful. The Bible says the heart is wicked beyond all things. Who can understand it? Our hearts trip us up, deceive us, and often are very dark places, full of all sorts of motives. We don't even come face to face with it most of the time because we're not thinking about what's going on in our heart. But I want to encourage you for a couple of minutes just to allow the spotlight of the Spirit to really search your heart and search your motives and search the deep things, the why behind what you're doing, to really allow God to surface things that might need to be surfaced in your heart that you're not even aware of right now, or maybe that you're just pushing aside. Allow God to reveal where your heart really is at in relation to Him. For some of you, you've just drifted a long way from even being connected to the heart of God. This is a moment to allow God to bring that to light, not so that He can condemn you, so He'll draw you back by His grace, lovingly draw you back and reconnect you to Him. Some of you, that's what needs to happen in your heart this morning, be re-anchored to the grace of God. And then to pray the dangerous prayer of King David who said, Search me, O God, and reveal any offensive way in me. That's a, that's a bold prayer, isn't it? Because the problem is when you pray that prayer, God might actually answer it. I think most of the time we don't really count on God doing that. But if you pray that, He may just answer it. He may just reveal in this quiet moment some offensive way, something in your heart that He's nudging and prompting you and saying, I'm going to give you my grace to, to change this. I'm going to bring healing to that area of your heart. I'm going to bring healing and renewal to that area, to that motive, to that inclination, to that area of selfishness that's still there, to that desire that we have for the approval of other people. And ultimately what God wants to do in our hearts is to remind us that our approval comes from Him. I think when you really know in the depth of your heart that you are approved of by God and that you are accepted by Him because of Jesus, when you know that, why do you need other people's approval? When you really know that you're accepted by God, why do you need to be accepted by others? When you know that you are the delight of your Heavenly Father, why do you need to spend your life chasing after the applause of the crowd? You don't need it because you know you're loved and you are cherished and you are chosen. And so for some of you, God wants to lead you deeper into that knowledge of your approval in Christ.
So let's pray together, just allowing God to surface anything in our hearts that He wants to. And I want to encourage you, just in the next couple of moments, to resist the temptation to try and make excuses in your mind, to resist the temptation to try and justify to God or to yourself why this is not a problem for you, but to simply open your heart. God, we open our hearts and we, and we say, search us. Search us, God. Shine the spotlight of your spirit through the basement of our hearts. And bring to light anything that you need to bring to light today, God. God, we just want to be here open before you. We can't hide anything from you anyway, God, but we just, we just allow you, we open ourselves to you, God, to just shine into the darkest, deepest recesses of our soul and bring to light anything that you're wanting to bring to our attention. Motives, desires, the tendencies and the inclinations, maybe things that we weren't even aware of. Maybe, God, it's things that we are really painfully aware of already and we know it's an issue. God, I thank you in this moment that you, you don't come to condemn us. I want to pray, God, for anyone here who just is immediately now defaulting to guilt and condemnation. And I want to pray against that in Jesus' name. God, we know this is never your work. It's never your purpose to bring these things so that you would condemn us. I thank you. Your word says if our hearts condemn us, we have one who is greater than our heart, and you know everything. So God, we pray that as these things come to mind and come to light, we wouldn't, we wouldn't trip into guilt, but we would receive your grace. We bring these things to you. We confess them. We receive your grace, and we receive your healing. And we say to you, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. We thank you, Jesus, that you see our hearts and you see how broken and fallen we are, but you love us. You love us in all of our brokenness. And even though we might take baby steps in this area, God, we know that we're still such broken people and we rely on your grace every moment of every day. So come and renew us, cleanse us, free us by your grace, Jesus. Change our hearts and remind us just how loved we are by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.